According to the dictionary, the word broken means, one of the definitions is damaged or altered by or as if by breaking. Things sometimes get broken. Plates, bowls, bottles, figurines, glasses. But the Japanese had a unique way of repairing a broken item. I know it's done a different way today because there's epoxies and those things, but the ancient way was to take the sap from a lacquer tree, which by the way was very poisonous and even toxic to breathe, and they would mix it with gold, silver, or platinum and repair the broken item. Their thought was that there would be a history of the breakage, but yet it would be mended in a way that would make the item more valuable. It would make it worth a whole lot more, but yet there would still be the history of the breakage. The scars of that breakage was covered with a precious metal. And in many cases, it would make that item that had been broken worth hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars. I'm a preacher, and as a preacher, sometimes we talk about the wrath of God and the anger of God. We tell people that God hates sin, and yes, God does hate sin. And I grew up listening to preachers that would tell us that quite often. And we tell stories about Noah and his day when people were so wicked that even the imagination of their thought was only evil continually and that God eventually got fed up with it and He destroyed all of mankind with the exception of Noah and his family. We would tell stories about Achan who took something that he wasn't supposed to take and hid it in his tent and ended up being put to death because he'd sinned against God. In Moses' day, a man who picked up sticks on the Sabbath was stoned to death because he had violated the law. We talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. Because of their wickedness, God's rain, fire, and brimstone upon the cities of the plain. And we would mention things like Uzzah, who as it seemed innocent that he reached to steady the Ark of the Covenant and was struck dead. And then in the New Testament, we would look at Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, who were struck dead because they lied to the Holy Spirit. All of those things are true. So very, very true. And yes, we need to be concerned about the anger and the wrath of God. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31, the Bible says that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But I also think that we need to understand that sometimes it's easy to just concentrate on the harsher attributes of God 
and forget about the mercy and the love and grace that God extends to us. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, Peter tells us that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so we see from just that simple verse that God wants people to be saved. He wasn't, does not want people to be lost. And yes, He is a God of wrath, but He's also a God of mercy. And a God that loves us. And a God that cares about us. I'm going to say this at the beginning. If you're concerned about the length of my sermon, you might as well leave now because it's probably going to be long. I want to look at three individuals. Three individuals that we read, in the, read about in the Bible, and if we have time, we'll look at a fourth. It's hard for me to preach this without getting emotional. Because I know the love of God. And I want us to look at three individuals to start with. One was in a covenant relationship with God. The other was a follower of Christ. And the other, an alien sinner. The first one I want us to look at is David. David. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 22, we find there that David, the son of Jesse, was a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. That's God. He was a man after God's own heart. And God knew that David was an individual who would do what God wanted him to do. And David was a good king, one of a very few that we can read about in the Old Testament. But he was a good king, but he was not a perfect person. He sinned. And I would like for us to examine that sin and realize that David was a broken person. If you have your Bible, turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 11. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we can read the event that we're talking about. In chapter 11 it says, And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time that the kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all of Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. I want to stop right there because I want us to know that David should have been out on the battlefield with his soldiers, with his warriors. But David stayed home. And then we pick it up in verse 2 and it says, And it came to pass at evening time that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the wife of Eliam, the wife or the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her 
for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived, and sent and told David, and said, I am with child. David, a man after God's own heart. David, an individual that's sometimes very hard for us to understand how he could be a man after God's own heart, but yet would do something like this. And I think that it just goes to show us that sometimes we get caught up in sin. And that it's very easy to get caught up in the sin. And in this particular case, we can see that should have been in another place with his soldiers, but he was at home on the roof. And he saw a woman. Now he had an opportunity to turn his head, to go back inside, to do something else, but he looked at her and he must have lusted because he sent for her. And he ended up committing adultery. And she became pregnant. What would he do? Well, we don't have time to read all the verses, but in chapter 11, verses 6 through 13, we can see where David thought he could figure out a way to cover it up. And so he said to Joab, and he asked him to send him Uriah the Hittite, which was Bathsheba's husband. And he wanted to report on the war, and so he tried to get him to go home. After he got the report, he sent him and told him to go home. But Uriah slept on the doorstep of the king's house. He didn't go home. So David's cover-up didn't work. And so David attempted again to get him drunk. And maybe he would go home after that, but Uriah stayed right where he was at. He didn't go home. David's problem still existed. So what did he do? He sent a letter to Joab at the hand of Uriah and commanded Joab to place Uriah in the hottest battle and then withdraw from him so that he would be killed. Beginning of verse 22, Joab sent a messenger to David to report on the situation. And so the messenger went and came and showed David all that Joab had sent him, or sent him for. And the messenger said unto David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out unto us into the field, and we were upon them even unto the entering of the gate. And a shooter shot off the wall and upon thy servant and some of the king's servants be dead, and thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Verse 25, Then David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. <clears throat> and when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house. And she became his wife and bare him a son. Problem solved. No more Uriah. Everything's taken care of. Or so he thought.
Verse 27, the last part of that verse says something that's very important. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. He may have covered it up with everyone else, but God knew it. And God was displeased with what He did. But there's something else. There was another problem. And it was with David himself. Before he acknowledged his sin, what he had done had aided him. Now the Bible does all this one right after the other, but you know that there was at least probably a nine-month period between the time she conceived and that child was born. So David had been in that condition for a long time. He was broken. And in Psalms 32, he tells us how he felt in verse 3 and 4. He said, When I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night my, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. So David knew that God wasn't happy, and he knew that he wasn't happy with himself. He didn't have the joy that he once had. He knew something was wrong, and he knew what he had done. And why did it happen? He was broken. Broken because of his sin. We move over to another example in the New Testament. And that's with Peter. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee and he sees Simon Peter and Andrew, his brother, fishing or casting their nets into the sea because they were fishermen. And it says in verse 19, He said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Jesus simply said, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they got up and they left. They went with him. They followed him. And we know from Peter and all the other verses that we can read where Peter is mentioned, we can see that he was a very outspoken person. Because we know in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus asked, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? It was Peter who answered that question when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we know that it was Peter that when he saw Jesus walking on the water, he stepped out of the boat and he walked on the water also. And that's recorded in Matthew chapter 20, or 14, verses 28 through 29. And then in John chapter 6, beginning at verse 66, and from that time many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? And then Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that Thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, many times was outspoken. Many times Peter said the right thing. There were times that he opened his mouth and inserted foot, but we see a lot of times where he said what was right. And then in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 31, beginning, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper and was talking to his disciples afterwards, Beginning in verse 31, it says, And then said Jesus unto them, 
All of ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all of the disciples. Here Peter is being told by Jesus Himself that you're going to deny Me. And Peter's like, not Me. Oh, not Me. I wouldn't do that. I'll die for you, Lord. You ever been in that situation where you thought you were so confident that you would stand up for Jesus, that you would do whatever you were supposed to do, but then when push came to shove, you didn't do it. So what happened? In Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 55, And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know not. I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour, another, after another, confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was one of them, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the words of the Lord. And he said unto him, Before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me thrice. And in verse 62, it says, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter was a broken man. He wasn't what he thought he was. Our third individual is Saul of Tarsus. We're introduced to Saul in Acts chapter 7 and verse 58, where it says that as they were stoning Stephen, they cast their, their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, the Bible tells us that Saul made havoc of the church. Entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And so we see that Saul is an individual who's not a very nice guy. 
If you were a Christian, you didn't want him to come around where you were at. Why? Because there's a good chance that he's going to bind you up and take you off so that you can be put to death. Saul viciously persecuted the followers of Christ. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13, he refers to himself as a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. He did not believe that Jesus was the Savior. Saul of Tarsus was a broken man. And here's the sad thing. All the things that he did, he did with a good conscience. He thought he was right. And so Saul is a broken man, but yet he doesn't even know it. And how many people are in that situation today? Lost in a sinful situation, in a sinful condition, and they don't even know it. They don't know that they're broken. Saul was wrong about what he was doing. He was broken. He was a sinner. And he was lost in his sinful condition because he was not a Christian. Brethren, I could show you many other examples in the Old and the New Testament where men and women sinned and were broken. Sin separates us from God. In Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that ye he will not hear. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so, brethren, we need to understand that every one of us was broken. Every one of us needed repaired. And maybe you're still in a condition where you're broken today, but you need repair. But the good news is this God loves us way too much to leave us in that broken condition with no hope. God provides a way for us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's true in the Old Testament, and that's true in the New Testament. God loves us when we're broken, And He can pick up the pieces. And He can put us back together. And it's with something more precious than gold or silver or platinum. He puts us back together with His mercy, His love, and the blood of Christ.
God loves us way too much to leave us in that broken condition. And He will help us if we will allow Him to do so. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, Jesus said, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How much does God love you? He loved you enough to offer His Son on the cross. How much does Jesus love you? He loves us enough that He was willing to die for our sins so that we could have salvation, so that we could be put back together, so that we could be repaired, and we don't have to remain in that broken state. Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus loves us. God loves us. Oh yeah, there's wrath with God. There's anger with God. But don't forget the good side, the mercy and the love. Let's go back to David in his broken condition and see what God did for him. Because David had done some pretty awful things. He lusted. He committed adultery. He was deceitful. And then he was guilty of murder. He could have been put to death. What, God, what did God do in David's case? I want you to see that our God that loves us is willing to forgive us. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, God sent Nathan to David. God could have taken David's life. God could have said, you're nothing and discarded him like an old rag. But he didn't do that. He sent Nathan. Listen to what Nathan tells him. There were two men in one city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take his own flock and his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said unto Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die." And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel and I delivered thee out of the, land, or out of the hand of Saul. 
And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wife to thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandments of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thy house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thee or before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst, didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. So David is approached by Nathan, and Nathan tells him this story, and David is moved, and then David finds out, guess what? That's me. What's he going to do? Could have blamed it on Bathsheba. Oh, she was up on the roof and she shouldn't have been in the shape she was in or I wouldn't have looked. David realized what he says. And look at what verse 13 says. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin Thou shalt not die. God put away David's sin. God forgave David. As I was researching for this lesson and working on it, I looked at some that some things on the internet where people were saying that God did not forgive David. And I suppose they thought that because of what Nathan had said was going to happen to David. But quite often when we sin, there are scars that are left from our sin. It's like the Japanese way of repairing bowls. There's still a history of what we've done. And we call those things consequences. In David's case, there was consequences for his sin. And there may be consequences for what we do. But we can still be forgiven for the sin. It doesn't take away all the consequences. I want you to notice what Nathan said concerning God. The Lord also had put away thy sin. He was forgiven. David trusted God's forgiveness. That sin was put away and David trusted Him. Listen to what he says. Psalms chapter 32, beginning in verse 2. Blessed is a man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Chapter 51, verses 1 and 2. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to Thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of Thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. 
Make me to hear the joy and gladness that the bones which Thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide Thy face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from Thy presence and take not Thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of Thy salvation and uphold me with Thy free spirit. In Psalms 103, beginning of verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Verse 10, He hath not dwelt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is thy mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hast thou removed my transgressions from us. Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. And listen to this. Listen carefully to verse 14. For He knoweth our frame, and He remembereth that we are dust. God knows what we're made of. David knew that the only way he could be cleansed was by God. That God could cleanse him, that He could wash him, and that He would be what? Whiter than snow. Well, we got a lot of experience with snow, don't we? And when it comes down, it's beautiful. What's he saying? God can make me white. He can make me clean. He can cleanse me. And he knew where the joy of salvation came from. It came from God. And David trusted God to do what God said he would do. He put away his sin. And now he could have the joy of salvation. Let's look at Peter. What happened in Peter's case? Jesus has said that before the cock crowed, that Peter would deny him three times. Jesus, or Peter said to Jesus, Though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. And after he had denied Jesus, for the third time, that rooster crowed. In Luke chapter 22, verse 62, Peter went out and wept bitterly. I want you to think about that for a moment. There's one thing that I have observed over the course of my life, and that is when someone dies that's close to you, you remember the last thing that you said to them. Or you remember the last thing that you did for them. It just sticks out in your mind. And I want you to think about Peter in the case that he was in when he's out there weeping bitter, bitterly. Jesus had died. He was dying on a cross. And then He died and was laid in the tomb. So what memory does Peter have of himself with Jesus? And that is that he denied his Lord. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 74, he said he denied him with a curse and swearing. 
That's the memory that he had. Peter was broken. And you know what? It would have been easy for Jesus to look at Peter and say, well, he said he would die for me. But look what he did. It would have been easy for Jesus to look at Peter and say, what a loser. But he didn't. It would have been easy for Jesus to look at Peter and say, what kind of follower is that? But he didn't. Jesus did not give up on Peter. And listen to me. Jesus doesn't give up on you and me. What happened? In Mark chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, we know in chapter 16 that the women were going to the tomb. And they were told, Be not afraid. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid Him. But go and tell His disciples and Peter that He goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see Him as He said unto you. Brother, I don't think that that's just a coincidence that they mention Peter by name. I think the Lord knew the condition that Peter was in. He knew he was broken. And he couldn't leave him there because he loved him too much. And so he wanted to make sure he knew that Jesus had risen. Jesus knew what Peter had done. And he knew that Peter was sorry for his denial. And I believe that Peter demonstrated that godly sorrow for his sin. And he remembered the words that Jesus had said to him that he would deny him three times before the cock crowed. And he had time to reflect upon that and the lack of his faith and courage. And as 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 tells us, so God, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. I believe that Peter was really sorry. And it was godly sorrow or sorrow that caused him to be in that situation that he was in. But had Peter been forgiven? Had Peter been forgiven by his Lord? And brethren, that's a question that I think a lot of us struggle with. We know what the Bible says, but have we really been forgiven? Has God really put our sin away? Has it really been washed away? Turn with me to chapter 21 of John. John chapter 21, some of the disciples were gathered together. And it says in verse 3, Peter, or Simon Peter said unto them, I go, go a fishing. And they say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into the ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Now, I don't know if they were thinking about going to their old profession. I don't know what was going through their mind. All I know is that Peter said, I go a-fishing, and they said, we're going to. And I know that they're a lot like me. They didn't catch any fish. 
And if you read the rest of the story, as you go down through there, you can see where Jesus was walking on the seashore and He tells them to cast their nets on the right side of the boat. And they cast their nets on the right side of the boat and they caught 153 fish. So much they had difficulties dragging it to the shore. But the Bible says that Peter pulled it to the shore. But it also tells us that when Peter recognized or heard that it was Jesus, that he jumped in the water and he swam to the shore. And we'll pick it up in verse 12 where it says, And Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples does ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus then cometh and, and taketh bread and giveth them the fish likewise. And is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he said, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my lambs. Notice he didn't call him Peter. Peter was that rock that's you know, firm. Peter hadn't demonstrated that. He calls him Simon, son of Jonas. And if you do a word study on the words that are used there, you find that Jesus is asking, lovest thou me? And that word for love that he used is agape love, which is unconditional love. And that Peter answers not with agape love, but with the word that's used in the Greek for brotherly love. He loved him like a brother. And the Bible says, He said unto him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my sheep. And he saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved, because he said unto him a third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Peter said unto him, or Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Notice that answer. Thou knowest all things. Did Peter think that about Jesus to begin with when he said, I'll never deny you? And Jesus said, You're going to deny me three times? Peter now recognizes and admits that Jesus does know all things. But it goes on, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And then he spoke this, and when he spoke this, he said unto him, Follow me. Had Peter been restored? Think about those words. Guy in Woods in his commentary on this chapter, this is what he says, The Lord 
had lovingly laid him or led him to see that he could no longer rely on his natural strength and that his motivation must come from his devotion and dedication to the Lord, whose cause he was thenceforth to serve with valor, courage, and unremitting toil. Jesus' confidence is seen by restoring him to the privilege of feeding his sheep and his lambs. Think about that. What were the first words that Jesus said to Peter? Follow me. What's he say here? Follow me. And really, that's the message that we all need to hear. Follow Jesus. Forgiven. And his heartbrokenness repaired. And his relationship with our Savior restored by the love and mercy of our Lord. And you can see what Peter did in the future when he preached all those sermons and did all the things that he did. Brethren, we need to trust God and follow Jesus. Now let's look at Saul. I told you this wasn't going to be a short sermon. Let's look at Saul. Saul was a man that had persecuted the followers of Jesus. And by persecuting the followers of Jesus, he also persecuted Jesus himself. And the Bible says he made havoc of the church. And he thought that what he was doing was right, but he was wrong. And he had lived in all good conscience up to that point. And you may look at someone like Saul and you can say, how could the Lord even care about someone like Saul? But he did. And you might look at it and say, how could a person like Saul be forgiven? But he was. And that's a question that I deal with with people from time to time who think that they've done something so bad in the past that God can't forgive it, forgive it or He won't forgive it. And I'm here to say that there's nothing that God won't forgive if you will truly turn away from it and do what God's told us to do to take care of it. And in Saul's case, listen to what Acts chapter 8 tells us, or chapter 9 tells us, beginning in verse 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And we know from the retelling of the story in Acts chapter 22 that God sent Ananias to Saul. When Saul arrived, or Ananias arrived, in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, he says, Now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. The person that had persecuted our Lord and His church, His followers, His people, is given the opportunity to have His sins washed away. 
Now, isn't that a God of love that shows us that mercy? As a result, Saul re trusted that the blood of Jesus Christ to wash away his sins, and his sin was gone. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 12, Paul says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. I want to stop right there. What was he before? A persecutor, a blasphemer, and injurious. What had he obtained? Mercy. Because he did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Oh, I don't believe that He continued on in that. I believe that He stopped. But He realized that Jesus came to this world to save sinners. And what does the Bible tell us? In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Yes, God is harsh. God can be hard. But also God came sent His Son so that we could be saved. And as it tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any <clears throat> should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so Saul was told to be baptized. Why? To wash away his sins. And he admits that he was the chief of sinners. And that's why Jesus came to this earth. So that sinners could be saved. And there's not too many things in this life where we're allowed a second chance. A do-over, you might say. And I'm thankful that our Lord, our God, is a God of second chances. No one is perfect. None of us. We all have sinned. We have all failed. There may be useful. You might like to say, "Well, I'm perfect. I haven't sinned all day. I hadn't sinned yesterday." And I, and I always think of scriptures like, "For him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin." How many things that we know that we didn't do that we should have done? So there's none of us, myself included, that is perfect. We all have sinned. And we've all failed. And every one of us has been broken. And there may be some that are still broken today that are here. But here's the good news. God can put us back together if we will allow Him to do so. Why is it necessary that we be baptized? Why was it necessary that Saul of Tarsus had to be baptized? Well, for one, Jesus commanded it. Mark 16, 15 and 16, when He told His disciples to go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. 
We see on the day of Pentecost when Peter, who was following Christ, said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For what? The remission of sin. And once your sin is taken away, you've got to be washed in the blood of Christ. How do we do that? Through the act of baptism. But it's important also because of what it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. How do we get into Christ? How do we become that new creature? We have to be in Christ. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27, it tells us how we get into Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. So we're baptized into Christ. And once we're baptized into Christ, guess what? That sin has been washed away. Doesn't mean I can't sin in the future. Because I can. And when I do, in the future, I have to confess that sin to God as it tells me in 1 John chapter 1. And He is faithful and just to forgive me of that sin. I said I had four individuals. The fourth one is the story that Jesus told. In Luke, the 15th chapter. Beginning in verse 11, it says, And he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me that portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the young son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance upon riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to the end of his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. I'm going to stop right there. Because how many times have we ourselves felt that we're no longer worthy. To be called a child of God. The Bible tells us in verse 20, And he rose and he came to his father. And when he was yet a great ways off, his father saw him and had compassion on compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. As I was telling someone after the service this morning, the earlier one, I get emotional about this because this is God. And it's very humbling to see the love that God has for us. And that father, he didn't sit on the porch and wait for him to get all the way up there and say, hey, look what you did. Listen to what the father did. 
He made his confession, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and no more worthy be called thy son. But the father said unto the servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Kensuki makes the pottery more valuable. Because they use gold and silver and platinum to repair it. Our God makes us more valuable because He repairs us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, allow Him to do that as we stand and sing.